Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. We are in week two of our new series on the Holy Spirit, and uh, I'm excited about this one. This is one that I've been wanting to do for a while, and just the elders didn't feel like the time was right, so... I finally got the green light, and we're going to be doing this for, um, I don't know, 6 to 8 to 12, 14 weeks. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You don't want to get too definite with the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm saying? So, um, <laughs> so let, me, let me do this before we get into it. Let me use the same illustration that I used last week to kind of get us on the same page, and then we're going to start what we're going to look at today. But let me see if I can get us started on the right foot this way. I want you to imagine that you and I had the opportunity to go and to have a meal together over your lunch hour and to, um, you know, have good conversation and build each other up and had a, had a great time. You go back to your office and you, someone says, what'd you do for lunch? And you say, well, I had, I had lunch with this dude named Tim Dunn. And they say, oh, Tim, yeah, yeah, I know Tim. Uh, man, for a black guy, that brother has a huge ponytail. And you say, oh, no, no, I, I think that's a different Tim. And they say, no, that's, that's Tim Dunn. And you say, no, the Tim Dunn that I know has the opposite of a ponytail and is the opposite of a black guy. And they say, no, I'm telling you. And, and here's the other thing. I mean, dude has some nice suits, but he smokes like a chimney. And, and so, and you say, no, look, man, like Tim wore a tie one day, just mostly so he could hang on to it while he talked, and, uh, uh, and he doesn't smoke. And they say, listen, I'm telling you, I feel like that is who Tim Dunn is. And you say, what? You what? Well, I feel like that's what Tim Dunn is. And you say, what, what do you mean I, you feel like? I was just with him. There was no feel like. And they say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I read an article, and in the article, it was referencing Tim and it said that he was a really big black guy with a huge ponytail who smoked a lot and wore really nice suits. And so I just went with it. And you say, listen, I don't, I don't have to tell you, I was just with him. And they say, okay, okay, here's the deal. Um, I was talking to somebody, and they said they had this experience with Tim, and that it was an experience with a big black guy with a ponytail with a nice suit who smoked a lot. And you say, look, man, I don't have to tell you but the Tim that I know, that you clearly don't, is none of those things. Now, if you have that experience, as odd as it would be, right, uh, about me, who cares? You can leave and go, well, you know, whatever. But that's the experience that many of us have with the Holy Spirit. Somebody talks about the Holy Spirit and we say, ah, I don't think that's the one that I know. And they say, well, I feel like, ah, but... Well, I read once. Well, I had an experience, or someone told me. And the problem is, is that we can be confused about me. But because of who we believe the Holy Spirit is, we need to have clarity on many, many things that I found that the church tends to lack. Now, there are things about the Holy Spirit that are mysterious. There are things about the Holy Spirit that God sees fit to not tell us. But the vast majority... Not only did God tell us, but we know according to the epistle that Peter wrote, the Holy Spirit inspired men to write the Bible, which means that the Bible is a first-person account by the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit. 
And so not only in a theological sense do we say, yes, we believe the Bible, but in a common sense way, we don't read the Bible and say, man, if the Holy Spirit would have known the Holy Spirit I know, he would have put more in there about himself. We don't do that. We don't say he should have said this about himself. And, I, and we, we take what the Holy Spirit tells us in the belief that he's sovereign and good and gracious. And we say, yes, we agree. And we want everything about that Holy Spirit that God says he has for us. And so our aim in this series is threefold. It's to properly know the Holy Spirit, to properly worship the Holy Spirit, and to properly enjoy the Holy Spirit for who, here it is, he says that he is. For who he says that he is. And so I'm going to do my best to not give you kind of reactionary talks. I'm not going to try to give you, well, I think, and I feel, and I read, and someone said. I'm going to try as best as I can to stay deeply tethered to the Word of God in the belief, both theologically and in a common sense way, that the Holy Spirit can introduce himself to you better than I can. So that's where we're headed. Last week, we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit, that he's not a creation, he's not a manifestation, but he's the third person of the Trinity, he's God, and that he's not a force, he's not a Jedi, he's not a green smoke, he's not an it, he's a him, he's a person with a personality, with a will, with emotions, and as a person, he can have relationships, and that's what we want. We want to have a relationship with God, with God the Father, with God, with God the Son, and with God God the Spirit. We don't believe that the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scripture. The person of the Holy Spirit. Now this week, we're going to do part one of the work of the Holy Spirit. In two weeks, we're going to do part two. But I'm going to read from John chapter three, and you're going to stand while I do so, and then we're going to pray, and then we will get after it. Fair enough? You guys good today? Yes. All right. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. This is the interaction that Jesus has with a man by the name of Nicodemus. I want you to listen with me. John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. John 16, verses 7 through 15 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the rule of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I say to you that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we...
pray what we just read. The Holy Spirit of truth would guide us to what is true. We pray, God, that you'll prepare our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit to both understand and obey, to both know and worship and enjoy who the Holy Spirit says that he is. God, give us the grace to be convicted where necessary and celebrate where appropriate. And I pray, God, that both would happen today. I pray that you would do a profound work that only you can accomplish for the blessing of your people, for the glory of your name. And we thank you for all of it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So I want to start with um, a statement that might seem a little bit grandiose to you, but I think it's incredibly, incredibly important. And I want you to, if you forget everything else, remember this. Are you ready? Okay. The most miraculous thing that the Holy Spirit does is save sinners. Now I say that both in the affirmative sense and in the corrective sense. Because I'm disturbed by the amount of things that get attributed to the Holy Spirit that seem to be received as superior to the thing that we see the Holy Spirit do the most often. Listen, it is less miraculous for somebody to be brought up on a stage, bopped on the head, fall down, and everyone to cheer than for a sinner to be saved from death and eternity and hell. And so the thing that I want to talk to you about today is this work of the Holy Spirit in saving sinners. And I want to use... God saving me as an example to lay out three things that are involved in that. The first, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, is that the Holy Spirit draws. The second is that the Holy Spirit regenerates. We'll talk about what that means. And the third is that the Holy Spirit seals. And I believe that it's the most important thing that you need to know about the Holy Spirit's work. It's the most important thing. I'm very, very excited about this, and I'm excited in the sense that my hope is that we move the goalpost back to where I think God has it, and that there are things, listen, I'm, I didn't say it's the only thing that the Holy Spirit does that, miraculous, that is miraculous. I said it's the most miraculous, and I want us to believe that and to seek that and to pray for that and to celebrate that when the Holy Spirit, by his grace, accomplishes it in us. So the first thing is this. The Holy Spirit draws. When we talk about drawing, I want you to think about a tug of war. I want you to think about someone being on the opposite end and the Holy Spirit having like the biggest pipes of all time, right? And he's just slowly drawing people in. That's how I like to think of God with huge pipes. And maybe a couple tattoos, but that's a different story, all right? <laughs> drawing in. Now, the idea about this drawing is that the Holy Spirit is here and we are at the other end. So what's the place at which the Holy Spirit begins to draw us to himself from. Does this make sense to you? Psalms chapter 51, King David, a man after God's own heart, says this, that he was conceived in iniquity and that his mama birthed him in sin. If you have a kid and someone brings you a card that says this, you need to kick them out of your hospital room, all right? That's what the Holy Spirit inspires David to say. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David says, whenever I was born, I was born a sinner. 
I was born a sinner. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, just in case you think that this is an outlier verse and it's not really the intent of the author, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, listen to what Paul says. He says, in you, speaking to somebody who's a Christian, you were, what's the next word? You were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the teaching of the Bible. That on the other end of that rope, as the Holy Spirit draws, are people who are born into this world broken. Born into this world broken. Born into this world sinful. Born into this world under judgment because of who our first father was. Adam rebelled against God and everybody in his line with his blood, as it were, after him, is born, including King David, including the Apostle Paul, sinful. That's what the Bible teaches. And so the Holy Spirit draws me from a place of sinfulness, from a place of brokenness, and the Bible says in many different ways that that place of sinfulness is a place that needs to be changed or transformed or redeemed. You can't stay there. Lots of different ways that it says this. Romans 6, listen. Stop being slaves of sin and start being slaves of God. That's the change. Slaves of sin to slaves of God. Galatians 2, die with Christ and raise again to newness of life. You guys remember on Easter, we baptized a bunch of people, and what do we say? Then I bury you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. We're showing something that has inwardly occurred through this external testimony of baptism, this change. Ephesians 4, put off the old man and put on the new man after the likeness of God. Put off the way that you used to do it and put on who Jesus is, the likeness of God in you. Acts 2, have to repent and change my mind from trusting men to trusting who? To trusting God, yeah. Ezekiel 11, I need a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5, I need to become a new creation. Matthew 18, I need to become like a child. I need to have faith like a child. And then lastly, John chapter 3, I need to be born again. Over and over and over again, the Bible says, listen, you can't stay where you are. You've got to change. You've got to be transformed. And in Romans chapter 2 and verse 8, it says what will happen if I insist on staying where I am. If we do not change, we will not be saved. We will not have peace with God and we will not have eternal life. This is terrible news. This is terrible news. That when I was born into this earth, I was born broken. I was born sinful. I was born needing to change, needing to be transformed, however you want to say that. And in John chapter 16, we just read this, it says that the Holy Spirit is going to convict of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit pulls and says, Tim, you're a sinner. Tim, 
you need to change. Tim, you need a savior. Tim, his name is Jesus. And so this terrible news, the Holy Spirit loves me enough to speak the truth to me. You're like your daddy Adam, who rebelled against God. You're born that way. You're a sinner. I'm convicting you of sin. And a sinner is going to stand before a righteous God, and that righteous God is going to judge him or her. But, but, there's a solution. There's a Savior, and not just any Savior, a particular Savior. What does Jesus say? He, the Spirit, is going to speak of who? He's going to speak of me. So the Holy Spirit draws me in two ways. Tim, you're a sinner. Number two, Tim, you need a savior, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. 16 years old, I grew up in church, and my dad was a bivocational pastor. We've talked about that and the implications of that, but my parents split when I was 13, and I wanted nothing to do with church or God or anything connected to it. As much as you can not want those things when you're 13, right? (laughs) When I was 16 years old, I had been going with a girl, because you're not really dating when you're 16, because you don't have a job or whatever. So whatever going with means. And I snuck out, uh, out of a church youth conference to go hang out with my girlfriend. And my buddy, who I had gotten into a fair amount of trouble with, ratted me out like the snake that he is. And I'm bitter at him to this day told my mom, told on me, like we were in junior high when we were obviously freshmen, and, um, <laughs> and, and I knew that my mom found out, and so I, um, I went home, and, and, you know, my mom was a single mom and a godly lady, and, but she was a single mom, and I expected her to go completely crazy on me. So I open the door, and I've got this huge chip on my shoulder, and I open the door, and my mom starts crying, and I'm like, oh, for God's sake, come on, man, like, let's just get this over with. Ground me, or what, yell at me, or whatever you're going to do, just do it and get it over with. Tim, please come sit down. <sighs> like a, the mature young man that I was. I throw myself on the couch, my mom starts crying harder, and she says this to me, honey, I don't think that Jesus is your savior. She didn't yell. She didn't scream. She didn't go crazy like I thought. The Holy Spirit drew me with one sentence. And what happened next is the second work. The Holy Spirit draws, and then the Holy Spirit regenerates. Now, this word regenerates is the work that the Holy Spirit does to change my heart so I can respond to God in faith. J.I. Packer says it this way. The regeneration of the Holy Spirit does two things. It illuminates the mind. So the Bible says that the enemy of God wants to keep your mind dark. I want you to be in the dark about who God is and who you are. The regeneration of the Holy Spirit turns the light on. There's God. Oh, here's me. And it frees my will. 
So it turns the light on and it puts an opportunity free of my sinful will to, to be saved by God. It's what regeneration is. Here's another word for it in the Bible. It's becoming born again. Becoming born again. John chapter 3, I want you to go back there. I want you to see something that's interesting that Jesus says to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, Jesus says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Everybody in this room has been born of flesh and water. Let me give an example. I have three kids. Every time I knew it was about to go down, my wife said this. Oh man, I think my water broke. Lots of water in physical birth. Water and flesh. Everyone in this room is born of the flesh. That which is flesh is flesh. You need to be born of the water and of the spirit. This rebirth, this second birth, this born again isn't a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. And that night, October 18th, 1994, the Holy Spirit drew me and the Holy Spirit raised me from the dead spiritually. Turn the lights on and freed my will so that I could be born again, so that I could have new life. Paul says it this way, Ephesians chapter 2, it's a co-resurrection with Jesus. I mean, you think about the miraculous nature of the resurrection. Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is falsely accused. Jesus is turned over to the Roman governments who beats him to a pulp and hangs him on a tree to die an excruciating death. And then three days later, the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8, raises him from the dead. The most consequential miracle in the history of humanity. If Jesus rose from the dead, everything is different. It's that significant. Here's what the Bible says. On October 18th, 1994, that happened to me spiritually. The Holy Spirit did that. He drew me and then he resurrected me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says that he made me a new creature in Christ. Old Tim was gone. New Tim was here. Not on his own accord, not, not you know, I decided. No, the Holy Spirit regenerated me and saved me and made me new. And I was born again in the Spirit, by the Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 says, according to the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses the Bible, the word of God, to save people, to regenerate people, to resurrect people. Romans says this, now then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... Two things are present when the Holy Spirit pulls and draws and regenerates. One, the Holy Spirit to the Word of God. And that night, my mom, in shorthand, spoke God's Word over my life. Honey, I don't think Jesus is your Savior. And the Holy Spirit used it 
to raise me from the dead to the glory of the Son according to the plan of the Father. On October, in October, 1994, October 18th. The Holy Spirit then draws me, raises me, and two things happen when you're born again. Number one, we're forgiven of sin. Because the old me is gone, God takes the sins and the brokenness of the old me, and here's what the Bible says, that he casts them as far as the east is from the west. This is the beautiful news about the gospel, that you come in here and you say, I've done some really screwed up things. I've done some terribly violent, terribly destructive, terribly indiscreet things. God could never... But the Holy Spirit draws, the Holy Spirit raises, and the Holy Spirit takes the old you and throws it as far as the east is from the west. Doesn't exist anymore. To the point that when we go to God and we say, God, look, man, I'm sorry for what? He goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you say, how is that possible? And he points to Jesus. Because of him. Because of what he did. And the Holy Spirit used the work of Jesus to resurrect you from the dead. The old you is gone. The new you is the only one that I know about. So first is the forgiveness of sins. Second is that the Holy Spirit goes where? Indwells me. Indwells me. The Holy Spirit draws me, resurrects me, forgives me, and then takes up residence in me. You are walking around, if you're a follower of Jesus, with the Spirit of God at residence in your heart and life. Why? Because He drew you, He raised you, He forgave you, He indwells you based on the work of the Son, based on the plan of the Father. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And can I say, man, not to be combative or contentious that is so much more miraculous than many of the things that I see attributed to the Holy Spirit isn't it amazing that that dude said that based on the Holy Spirit yeah isn't it amazing that God took a goofy cocky 16 year old who was dead in his trespasses and sin and raised him to new life and set his eternity on a different course? Yeah. And yours, 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 and filled rooms called the church full of people who once were dead and now are alive because of the Holy Spirit? You want to tell me that that's less significant than pulling somebody up on stage, bopping them in the face, they fall down, and we say, that's the Holy Spirit? Come on. Come on. We've moved the goalpost. We've moved the goalpost. The most miraculous thing that the Holy Spirit does is he pulls on the hearts of men and women for the purpose of making them new and alive to the glory of God and the joy of the receiver of redemption. And some of you, that's your story. I wasn't looking, but he was. I wasn't seeking, but he was. I wasn't capable, but he was. I once was this, and now I'm this because of him. It's the most beautiful thing that the Holy Spirit does. This triune work of saving sinners. Saving sinners. 
And listen, I pray that the Holy Spirit does innumerable miracles at Damascus Road. I pray that he does. But I pray that we never stop asking for this miracle. We never stop expecting this miracle. Can, listen to me, please. All the healing and tongues and word of knowledge and word of faith, I, I hear you. But if you aren't seeing people saved in a church, the Holy Spirit ain't there. You can say, whoa, this happened. If you aren't seeing people saved in a church, the Holy Spirit isn't there. This is the one thing that we must have. Because this is the thing that the Holy Spirit loves to do. It's the thing that the Holy Spirit loves to do. So he draws, he regenerates, he indwells. And when he indwells, the Bible uses this phrase, that he seals. Ephesians chapter 1. Are you mad at me? All right. You're getting all quiet on me. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. Get over there. And let's look at what this says. This is the part in the book of Ephesians where the Apostle Paul kind of takes a deep breath and then just starts talking about all the things that God has done. So, and then he just goes on this really long rant about the grace of God in saving us. And he comes to the end of the sentence. Ephesians 1 and verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, there it is, you heard the word, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were what? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire, acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit draws, the Holy Spirit regenerates, the Holy Spirit seals, and that means three things for us. Three things. The first is this. Back in the, the day that this would have been written, if I would have written a letter and had any influence or significance, I would have had a seal. And that seal, you would have put a drop of wax on a document, and I would have taken my seal and I would have put it onto that document. So that anybody who read that document would know, oh, this is Tim's document. The seal denoted ownership. What is the seal that denotes ownership for a Christian? It's the Holy Spirit. How do I know that somebody is a Christian? Now, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. What is that? It's the seal. It's the way that not only do I know that God drew me and saved me, but it's the way that you know. It's the way that you know. And that's not me, right? I don't do that. That's not my work. That's not, oh, Tim's so loving. Anything that you look at in me, and you go, yes, that's the Holy Spirit, trust me. That guy is God's. That guy is saved by Jesus. That guy is the son of Almighty God. How do you know? Because he's sealed. Because he's sealed. Number two, this seal gives us a first installment or in our eternal estate. Here's what I mean by that. When I was 17 years old, I had done enough damage to my mom's 1985 Honda Civic that she uh, 
lovingly demanded of me that I go buy a car, get a job and buy a car. So I was working at Finish Line, uh, selling overpriced Jordans to kids who didn't have it and wanted to be cool. And, uh, and I saved up enough money, and I went to a pretty ghetto car lot, <laughs> and I saw a 1990 Royal Blue Dodge Laser. Yeah, you're impressed, I know. <laughs> and I said to myself, oh, I've got to have that. So I went into the dealership, and the guy with the greasy hair <laughs> and the chest hair and all that, you know, all right, man, that's cool. You can buy that. And I say, well, here's the thing. Uh, I got to go do this and that. And he says, that's fine. But how do I know that you're going to come back? And I said, well, I can give you some earnest money. I can give you some earnest money. So I gave him a hundred bucks, right? Which effectively drained my checking account. And, uh, and then I went and got financing and came back and bought the Dodge Laser. For a Christian, that seal of the Holy Spirit, you say, how do I know that God's kingdom will come and that I will be a part of it? Well, I can give you some earnest spirit. This is the reason that we can pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because the presence of the Holy Spirit means that when his kingdom comes, I get to be in on it. It's the first installment. It's the promise of things to come. It's the way that I know that my eternal destiny is taken care of. Not because I'm good. Not because I minded my P's and Q's. Not because I follow the rules. And there's a false and destructive and horrific teaching that says... If you want to be a Christian, the way that you can make sure that you go to heaven is be the most moral person that you can be. And if you aren't, you can lose your salvation. Unfortunately, or fortunately in my case, my eternal security is not based on my ability to maintain it. It's based on the ability of the Holy Spirit to keep it. And I know where my eternal state will be because God gave me the Holy Spirit after he drew me, resurrected me, and sealed me. And so you can look at my life in an increasing level and say he's being transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's the seal. I can trust my destiny to God and to the Holy Spirit because I've received him as earnest money on it. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit secures our new life. So that seal on that letter the way that you would know that nobody had messed with it is that that seal was intact. And if the seal was broken, you would know that somebody who wasn't supposed to mess with it had. The Holy Spirit, then, is an infallible, tamper-proof seal on my salvation. God says that he does not entrust my redemption to me. And that's a beautiful thing because I lose my car keys. Who does he entrust it to? Entrust it to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit draws me, raises me, seals me, and the Father says to the Holy Spirit, I trust you to get him to me at the end of all time. And I'm entirely secure in his ability to do so. Entirely secure. And so there is complete rest 
in the gospel for me. Complete joy, complete contentment. There is no stand up and run around and do spiritual calisthenics so you can get in. It's the Holy Spirit drew me, not me. The Holy Spirit regenerated me, not me. The Holy Spirit sealed me, not me. And what does it say in the book of Ephesians? And he does so until the allotted time, until the end. In other words, God saved me when I was 16. I'm 36. For the last 20 years, every single day, the Holy Spirit has maintained my redemption in Jesus. Every single day. No matter what I do. The Holy Spirit maintains my redemption in Jesus. And here's what I know. For the next 10, 15, 20, however many years God gives me, the Holy Spirit will cling tightly as my seal to my redemption until I'm delivered to my Savior. There is nothing more miraculous than that. Nothing more miraculous than that. I had no plans at 16. I had no capability at 16. I had no way to have an alternative ending to the story. But the Holy Spirit intervened. The Holy Spirit raised me. The Holy Spirit sealed me. And now not only do I know where my life is headed, I know where my eternity is fixed. And it's fixed on the person and work of Jesus. Listen, if you're sitting in here today, there's, there's, there's two types of people. And I want you to be careful to not go, oh, I know which one I am. Because I grew up in and around church. And I heard lots of messages. And I heard lots of teachings. And I heard lots of gospel presentations. None of them saved me. You hear what I'm saying? Coming to church doesn't save you. Standing and listening to someone talk about Jesus doesn't save you. Doing good things doesn't save you. What saves you is when the Holy Spirit draws you, you submit yourself to him. And so my great fear is that there are people who have been coming to church for an inordinate amount of time who the Holy Spirit has been drawing, but they have never submitted themselves to him. But they think they're saved because they go to church. So I want you to ask what may be an awkward and difficult question of am I sealed? Have I been saved? Have I submitted myself to the work, the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit? Or have I just been around it? If you're in here today and you haven't been around church, I've got incredible news for you. Today, the Holy Spirit wants to change your life, wants to bring you into relationship, wants to exhibit his power and his purposes for you. You say, but you don't know. I don't need to know. The Holy Spirit is greater than the works that we have done in rebellion to God. His saving work is greater than our rebellious work. And God today wants to save you from your sin. Wants to save you from your sin. Wants to resurrect you from death. Wants to send you on a purposeful, transcendent, eternally secure reality today. And I know for a fact that there are people in this room that the Holy Spirit is drawing in a miraculous way. Listen to him. Listen to him. Submit yourself to him. Then there's people in the room today who they have the same story I did. I wasn't looking, but God drew. I wasn't capable, but got raised. I'm not competent, but the Holy Spirit secures. And that's my identity in Jesus. 
And the response that I have to that is incredible gratitude that results in passionate worship. In passionate worship. And so we're going to have the opportunity to corporately sing praise to God. And here's the beautiful thing about it. that The Holy Spirit does all that work. And then when we sing praise to Jesus, the Holy Spirit inhabits it. So we grow in our knowledge, we grow in our worship, we grow in our enjoyment of Jesus. So if you're in here today and you've been around church, ask yourself the question, has God saved me? If you're new to church, listen to that drawing. And if God has saved you, then this is a great opportunity for you to, in gratitude, praise him as we do every single Sunday. So why don't you stand with me? A couple other ways that you can respond If you are a follower of Jesus, you can come up, you can take communion, the means that the Holy Spirit uses to redeem and regenerate is the cross of Jesus. We remember that every week. We can sing as we talked about. If you're in here today and you've got questions or you've got concerns or you want somebody to process that with, to my left, to your right, in the back, there'll be people there who'd love to talk to you and love to pray with you. All right? All right. Pray with me. God. I thank you that you took a dumb, cocky 16-year-old who had been around church but had never been saved by the blood of Jesus. You drew me. You drew me out of my sin and rebellion. You drew me through the simple heart of a mama who wanted to see Jesus save her boy. And God, you have been faithful to me. Miraculously faithful to me. You have shown yourself good and trustworthy and powerful in my life. And God, to say that I'm indebted to you is a gross, inadequate, unjust statement. Everything that I have is because of you. Any goodness, any purpose, any transcendence is singularly because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, because of what Jesus did and because of what you planned. So I pray that, God, for every single person in this room to listen to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And if we have been saved, to rejoice at the grace of God that has made us new, that has resurrected us with Jesus, that has done the miraculous work of saving a sinner like me. And God, receive our praise, inhabit our praise, receive our worship to you. Empower it, God, for your glory and for our joy. We thank you in the good name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.